Welcome to The Silver Screenings, a new podcast from Blind Buy Media. I'm Nate Myers, joined by Matt Peterson as we take a look back on following Christopher Nolan's debut film. Well, Matt, we're following our, up on our conversation. We just did an episode of the Criterion Chat, our other podcast on this very same movie. So in the unlikely event that we have somebody subscribed to this podcast that's not subscribed to the Criterion Chat, <laughs> I guess I'll just encourage everybody who's listening to us here to go ahead and subscribe and check out our more detailed, in-depth conversation on this particular movie with our Criterion Chat podcast. But we're going to celebrate its 25th anniversary here tonight as well. So uh, I think I intimated in our earlier conversation, Matt, that this actually is a movie I only saw for the very first time in the past year here. So I I don't have a long history of it. But if I recall correctly, you saw it a while ago. Is that right? Yeah, it's been... It's been quite a while. I mean, it's something that I came to after seeing a lot of other Nolan films, right? So it's not something I saw right when it came out by any means. It's always been sort of this artifact in Nolan's career, at least in my mind, something interesting to go back to, to really see the origins of of his films and a lot of the attributes we think about uh, when we, we think of Christopher Nolan pictures. Yeah, I mean that's exactly right. It's I think it's always existed mostly as a um, curiosity. I think people, for the most part, when they saw it, they thought of it not so much on its own terms, but rather uh, as well. It's that interesting first movie he made, right? So that's yeah. probably the only reason anybody pays attention to it now is because of the association with him, uh, not uh, for its own sake. Uh, but that's why I ultimately came to it. I don't know that I ever would have gone looking this film up here, but. Uh, because of him, it is definitely the perhaps most famous, maybe uh, in the history of movies, for all I, I can tell, the, the no-budget films. I mean, it's not even a low-budget movie. It's only $6,000, uh, yeah. roughly, is what it costs to make. So that's that's quite cheap, uh, as, a, as a film goes, uh, especially considering that it was made actually on film, right? And you had to actually do lab work on this. It's pretty impressive that they, they were able to make it for as cheap as they did. Uh, but... Yeah, so we'll maybe just get right into our questions here tonight. So the hindsight is 2020 question. Uh, Did critics and audiences get this movie right or wrong when it came out? It was a little bit of a hit uh, when it came out. It made some money. It was not by any means a major uh, box office smash surprise that went on anywhere. Uh, But it did get some uh, good reviews and notices. It's sitting with a pretty popular rating from most people. The criticisms, I think, were mostly about the performances. Uh, It was actually Joel Schumacher, who was one of the uh, first directors to talk about this. Uh, This would have been right on the heels of his smashing smashing success of uh, Batman and Robin, uh, which I'm sure Nolan looked at with great fear and trembling uh, as he tried to do his Batman movies. But it was Joel Schumacher who said that uh, Nolan was a guy that we were going to hear from right away uh, that he could tell watching this movie. Uh, so I'm curious, do you think they got it right or wrong when it came out? I think overall they, they got it right. I mean, I, I think critics recognize that this is a talented filmmaker. Uh, clearly it's it's a no-budget film, as you pointed out. There's sort of a student film quality to it in terms of the, the writing and the performances and even the aesthetics, uh, certainly the black and white kind of noir influences are pretty common in a lot of student films. Uh, I mean, I think it's more accomplished than your typical student film, so I don't say that as a means to put it down by any means. 
the the black and white, you know, is also likely the consequence of just shooting on a cheaper film stock. I mean, 16 millimeter. Uh, so th- there's a, definitely a lot to admire here. There's uh, a real sense of propulsiveness to the film. The nonlinear storytelling you know, really would become a hallmark of Christopher Nolan's style for even up to this day, right? So his use of the cinematic language to manipulate time, uh, to engage the audience in unique ways and to reveal points about plot and character, uh, kind of in, in an unexpected fashion. So, uh, yeah, I think overall critics saw the potential of, of the, uh, the man behind the camera here. Yeah, I'd agree. It's actually kind of hard to evaluate this film without thinking about the last 25 years, right? Yeah, in terms of for sure. being able to look at it. Um, it's actually most interesting as an artifact of the start of Christopher Nolan's career uh, on its own. So I do think that they got it right in terms of that it's not a great movie. I mean, I think everybody kind of also sort of realized there isn't a lot to it. Uh, It is really just a classic textbook of style over substance. Uh, But there's enough meat on the bone to make it worth watching, that it's not entirely empty and devoid of ideas, uh, even if the ideas aren't particularly profound, or if you can't, in a 70-minute runtime, be able to actually explore them as interestingly or as complexly as you might want. Uh, This, nonetheless, I think has enough there to merit the uh, the praise that it got, uh, which was really the praise of a, this is going to be a, a great career that we see launched, right? And I think that's what everybody got right here uh, when they were looking at it. Um, and kind of, I, I guess I kind of answered this next question just in the point of how do we look at it, but uh, this, the Stranger Things nostalgia question, what has changed, if anything, in our thoughts on this movie from when we first saw it? Uh, so I did see it just the first time this year, but... Having watched it a couple times now, uh, I would say the one thing that has changed for me versus the first time I saw it is that I do appreciate how right away Nolan had the sense of uh, camaraderie. With I, I didn't really think about the fact that, for example, he was working with Emma Thomas uh, on this one, that uh, David Julian was the composer and they worked together for those next few projects, uh, that he really had a sort of uh, repertoire of people that he liked working with. And the sense of camaraderie is apparent, actually, I think, in this film. Uh, Not necessarily in terms of what's on the screen, but looking at how it's made, you can tell this is made by people who really had a hunger and a love for movies. So that's something I noticed uh, watching it this last time versus the first time I saw it. Yeah, kind of going off of that, uh, it struck me this time even more so than before, just how influenced he is by other films um, in this film. So I I mentioned sort of the student film feel or aesthetic. This clearly has a lot of influences uh, in terms of film noir and some of the artifacts we see in the film, some of the posters on the walls, uh, Casablanca or the picture of Marilyn Monroe. And I think that's kind of unique for Nolan because Nolan... I think we generally think of him as having a very distinct singular voice and we don't necessarily think of him as being overly influenced by a lot of other filmmakers. I, I think he tries to exude kind of a very 
Stanley Kubrick sort of persona at times Mm -hmm. when it comes to his presence as a director and and, and not necessarily in an egotistical way, but I, if I picked out one director that I think he probably admires the most that, that Kubrick would be on the short list, but it's interesting here to see uh, the result of other films and other genres and other directors, even uh, such as Brisson or, or Godard that were clearly an influence for him uh, for this piece of work. Yeah. You're right about the Kubrick comparison. Obviously he was instrumental in that 70 millimeter, um, Unrestoration? How do they market that? I can't remember what phrase they used. Yeah, it was like, I think they used unrestoration. <laughs> yeah, it was something um, like that. But um, Yeah, very much the photochemical shooting on film, old school sort of uh, way of making films, right? So no one's very attached to he has kind of a romantic sort of attachment to that that uh, that idea, that aesthetic. So the Walt Kowalski, get off my lawn question. What would Gen Z think if this movie were released today? Oh, Gen Z, Gen Z. <laughs> I think they'd hate uh, it, to be honest with you. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's... If you took Christopher Nolan's name off of this... And just showed it. I mean, I think there's a, there's enough people who have a respect or the, a sense of a, a fandom for Christopher Nolan that they'd be like, yeah, it's great. It's exciting to see all the stuff that was, you know, in its infancy here that would develop. And you can kind of see through lines and make those connections. But if it was just released today without it being a Christopher Nolan film or just a nobody making their debut film now... A, it would be drowned. I mean, the market's just way oversaturated, so you, you would never have a chance for it to go anywhere. But I think that, I mean, it's just so, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a woman that gets murdered in it, right? Uh, you hear her screaming and get thrown around. Uh, you have uh, slurs on homosexuals being used at different times. I just think that they would find it very much not uh, in accord with some of their tastes today uh, of what they're used to in movies. Well, even just the idea of of a you know low budget aesthetic seems to be lost on people these days, right? So, yeah, sixteen millimeter wouldn't be a thing, right? Yeah, everyone's walking around with a four K camera on their phones, and and everyone's very used to the hyper sharp digital photography uh, that we really kind of take for granted uh, with any kind of new TV shows or films. So the idea of this very cinema verite, uh, low resolution, grainy, black and white aesthetic, you know, beyond Blair Witch Project, which is also, you know, decades old at this point, I, I think that that aesthetic is lost on people. It would People would probably find it distracting and would just generally have a hard time with it. And our final question, the Kevin Feige franchise question, does this movie deserve a belated sequel? It already has one. It's called Memento. <laughs> that wasn't belated, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. It's true. Uh, no, I don't think so. I I, I mean, we, we had kind of discussed this before, too, that Memento is clearly the big budget version of this film, right? So mm-hmm. this 
in, in some ways is the proof of concept for that film in terms of doing something more with it today. I, I just don't think there's enough material here to, to kind of branch off and, uh, and, and make anything that's worth, worth doing. I mean, I, I guess you could take the character of Cobb and kind of flesh out his motivations or his techniques in terms of deception and maybe take it a step further to say, is he this criminal genius that <laughs> likes to stitch together these sort of elaborate framing plots? Uh, so maybe he could become almost like a talented Mr. Ripley sort of character or something. But I think that would be a stretch. I was initially a pretty hard no on this. And as I was thinking about it, getting ready for us to do this question, I then realized, well, there is a, there is a possibility for an interesting sequel here. Uh, and it would be even more interesting, I think, if, if Nolan were to come back to this, maybe, you know, as he's, I don't know how old he is now. He's probably about, is he maybe? He's got to be in his 50s. Close at this to point. 55, 60, somewhere in there. So he's approaching it kind of maybe as a as a bookend to his career when he's getting maybe towards those last those last years. Does you do you do this as an interesting sequel? Almost like when they did that Cloverfield sequel, they never advertised it as a sequel right away, right? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Where you don't make it apparent that it is a sequel, and you have some of these characters come back, uh, and it's actually that you know now. The, the young man could be called the old man, I guess, <laughs> or the middle-aged <laughs> man. I don't know what his character name would be in the next one. But have him, having served his jail sentence, be on a kind of a, a, a mission of revenge uh, huh. and that you could have a turning of the table sort of thing. I just I thought there is a possibility for an interesting story there. Uh, it, maybe I'm being too inspired by I recently rewatched Cape Fear. So <laughs> that, that could I was going to say, it sounds like maybe it's the Irishman too, but so, uh, yeah, that, that's interesting. I, I would like to see Nolan take on kind of a smaller project again at some point. I mean, I, I think we've, we've talked about that before too. It would be nice to see him even, even try to do a comedy or <laughs> just something outside, like a, a black comedy, something like in Bruges or something. I, I, I think he, I actually think he could do pretty well with the film uh, in that genre. So maybe this is an opportunity. Yeah, a small budget Christopher Nolan film would be just an interesting thing, just to even to, for him to challenge himself to work with limited means, right? I think Yeah. you get kind of spoiled as directors uh, when you have the ability to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars. Uh, so I don't know. I just I think there is a possibility here for an interesting sequel. Yeah, as much as I like Tenet, and I do think it's a very good film, it did feel like the natural kind of end point in terms of <laughs> that type of storytelling, you know, this this time-bending or, or visually-bending uh, storytelling style. So it would be interesting to see him kind of pull back on the reins a little bit. All right. Well, Matt, uh, like I said at the start of the episode, this is a pretty quick one, but we're just pounding this out here. More for cross uh, promotion purposes than anything else, but uh, yeah, but we, uh, we never do self promotion. So, you know, if you guys like this podcast or other podcasts, Criterion Chat, you know, give us a rating on on iTunes. Leave us a review. 
uh, we, we'd appreciate that. It'd be nice to know if there are people actually listening to these things. Yeah, send out tweets. Uh, don't stalk us, please. That's the only thing we ask. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, great talk with you, Matt. And uh, t- tune in next month. We'll have another one of our fantastic 1998 titles coming your way.